1: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. And we coming from a basement to your headphones. Barely even know who we are, changing the unknown in a while signing the chart.
2: Thank you for downloading the podcast Now
0: here are your hosts, Jordan Hall and Eric Wayne. Welcome got. into a special episode of the Podcastianos. I am Jordan Hall and I'm joined by Eric Wayne. On this week's show, we are extremely happy to be joined by Tom Gage. Um, he's a former Tigers beat writer for the Detroit News and has written a book called The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Detroit Tigers. And he's with us to talk all about it. We will get to that in a second. But first... Eric, you of course had last week off on vacation in the Golden State, seeing the sights li- and living the life.
1: I did. I, I lived that no kale lifestyle, I explored, you know, the West Coast living, you know, an appropriate climate for human beings. <laughs> unlike Michigan. So that was good. We had a good time. Did
0: you ride in a cable car?
1: I did. Yeah. I hung off it, you know, like you're supposed to, eating a bowl of rice aroni and and just living it
0: up. Did you see the full house people?
1: Uh no, unfortunately not, but uh I expected them to pop out at any moment. You know, I had my camera at the ready. Yeah, that's for Joe, Uncle Joey or whatever.
0: I'm sure he was at the at the Joe last night. He was a big Red Wings fan.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah.
0: That's the literally the extent of my full house knowledge. Um so was there anything interesting about the road road, road tolls for San Francisco and Oakland? Uh, I'm curious.
1: Yeah. So I found this interesting. So Oakland and San Francisco are right across the bay from each other and both have bridges going in. And the rule of thumb is you have to pay to get into San Francisco and you have to pay to get out of Oakland. And after experiencing both cities a little bit, I can see why that makes sense. Yeah. All right, San Francisco is a little nicer, fancier. And Oakland, Um, so if you ever see the movie Moneyball where, uh, Brad Pitt just kind of leaves the stadium and he's in the, I thought he'd have to drive to get into some like industrial wasteland, but no, (laughs) it's just like right by the stadium there. It's like these ports and stuff. It's not fancy.
0: Speaking of not fancy, um, this weekend you and I, if you, if you recall, were able to catch a Tigers game together at Comerica. Um, each of our first of the year and actually my first since Fiesta Tigres in 2015, I was thinking back, it was, it was the, uh, the Classico Fiesta Tigres the last time, um, was a good time. Yeah, we
1: actually had real person to person conversation, which is, which is frightening.
0: Well, the thing was, is we both brought our computer and we were Skyping the whole time. So (laughs) it was, it was kind of normal, but also, yeah, there was a little bit more, more human contact than, than average. It wasn't just two dudes on their computer in their basement.
1: Yeah, It was, it was a tender moment, Hall.
0: <laughs> um, I got to see my beloved Daniel Norris, and you got to watch me watch my beloved Daniel Norris.
1: Mm, it was special, yeah.
0: <laughs> and at your urging, of course, we tried the the brisket nachos, which yeah, cha- what did you think? Oh, fire emoji! Absolutely, those were really good.
1: I love the brisket nachos. I love it. I love nachos of any kind. Yeah, especially. I, I don't want to brag, but I'm kind of a nacho aficionado. aficionado.
0: <laughs> How do you feel fuel? about about like non tortilla chips in the nachos? Because those are yeah, a little bit more that. upscale. Oh yeah, for yeah, sure. You can do that. Um, so anyway, that brings us to this week's leadoff question. What is your biggest takeaway from our day out? You know, when they, when they let us out of the out of the house uh, to Comerica yesterday.
1: Uh, my big takeaways. I love big screen hype videos. I get into that a lot. Um, also I I pointed this out to you. Um, one of the best parts for me about seeing a game in person is tracking the foul balls and seeing the fans effort, you know, to try to catch these never with much success, but seeing where they like bounce and hit and, you know, and then people cheer, and you sometimes hear the cheers in a broadcast, but you're like, "What are they cheering about?" You can't see. That's the nice part of be, about being at a game for me. Yeah. How about you? What like was that. your What was your takeaway?
0: I think my my biggest takeaway is how absolutely over the toply sold on Nick, Nicholas Castellanos I now am. Like, oh, yeah. we, we talked about this at the game. He, the difference in his body, you know, I don't want to go down the, the checking him out route too much, but the difference in his body composition from not necessarily from last year, but since he, he came up in his development, he, like, he is a man now. Like he, he's hitting man uh, missiles.
1: <laughs> Please never use the word <laughs> man missiles again. <laughs> Would that be okay.
0: No, it's it's, it's exclusively what I'm going to use now.
1: Okay. Uh yeah, he's he's blasting man missiles all over, and uh, no, I I'm as hyped about Nicholas as anybody. I, I he just looks like when he gets to the plate that he's going to do damage. He's not messing around.
0: Yeah, and like you say, the later into the game he goes, the more buttons he unbuttons, the more business he means. <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah. Like when it's the eighth inning and you can see his navel, you know, it's it's home run time.
0: Yeah. And, and quite frankly, I don't see why it wouldn't be that way. Right. It's got uh, the deep V. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with the show, you can at podcastianos.com. On Twitter, I am at Jordan Hall 23. Eric is at Comeric Eric. And the show is at Podcastianos. On the Instagram, I am at Jordinho4. Uh, you can. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash podcastianos. And we'd love it if you would take the time to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or whatever other platform you're listening to the show on.
1: I'm Blaine Hardy, and you're listening to the podcastianos.
0: We now welcome on a legend of the Detroit media world. Uh, He spent 36 years covering the Tigers as a beat reporter for the Detroit News, is a J.G. Taylor Spink Award winner, and now the author of The Big 50, uh, The Men and Moments That Made the Detroit Tigers. It's Tom Gage. Tom, thanks so much for being on the show with us tonight and for spending a few, few minutes with us.
2: My pleasure. It really is.
0: Um, so let's see, Tom. Your book was uh, released April first by Triumph uh, Books. Why don't you tell us a little bit of back a background about it? Um, what was the inspiration behind it? Like, how did this come about?
2: Well, it came about because uh, I was no longer really uh, covering the Tigers. I, I had the time to write it. Triumph had asked me a couple of times uh, while I was still covering the Tigers if I was interested in writing a book, but I just knew that by the time the season got over, I. Didn't want to go right back to the computer to, to to sit down and and write one. But once I was uh, off the beat, they asked to get again and had an idea, and I liked the idea and I liked the opportunity. So I said, "Let's go, let's do it."
1: The go ahead, go ahead. Eric. Yeah, I was talking to Jordan, and uh, the premise be- behind it, um, the Big Fifty, and maybe you can tell a little bit more about that. But the concept of it is really good. You get these nice kind of uh, capsules, uh, these nice moments that you can you can tackle, and it it really makes for nice reading.
2: Well, thank you. It, it, um, the fact that it's fifty, what was one of the things that was so appealing to me is that they let me choose the fifty. <laughs> and they right? let me choose the rank, and so uh that was one of the toughest things and I had to consult a lot of people that i that I respect and put together a master list Now, there are some really fine players. what I did was I alternated individuals with events, or I was going to alternate events with individuals depending on what was number one so it's really in it, it's not in a random order i uh, the odd chapters are the events and the even chapters are the individuals. And so Justin Verlander is number 26, but he's actually number 13 uh, and number two among the pitchers. But anyway, uh, that that's what was really appealing to me. Some are kind of uh, offbeat. Uh, there's one, there's a chapter on Jim Campbell that's more about the uh, Tiger entertainment than it is about Campbell. I stayed away from accounts individual accounts of general managers and owners because i knew i would talk about them throughout the book Hmm. right
0: you have such a a wide range of profiles you go from like ty cobb who debuted in 1905 to, to Justin verlander now what was the research process like specifically on some of the guys from the beginning of the 20th century
2: well, I could go back to 1979 and pretty much consult my own work because that's when I started covering uh, the Tigers uh, full time. I, I did do a month of uh, Mark Fidrich in '76, and that came in handy. But I had to find I had to find my own stories just to to uh, consult with those. But uh, going back, it goes back to 1901. Uh, that was the year the first American League game for the Tigers, in which they. Uh, they scored ten runs in the bottom of the ninth to win a game, and something they've never done again. And uh, it, to me, the, the history, combining the history with the baseball, uh, going back into, uh, I mean, I was a baseball card collector in the fifties, but uh, in the forties and thirties and twenties, these guys were names to me. I mean, they were they were right. people I knew a lot about, but I didn't know I didn't hadn't done any research on them, and I found that fascinating.
1: Yeah. So you touched on this. You, you got into some of the research, and uh, you know a lot of your own to go on. But then uh, you've you've seen a lot of baseball games. I believe you you penciled maybe over five thousand games. You have a lot of baseball wisdom. But was there something in this writing process that that you learned, or you found fascinating, or uh, kind of uncovered for yourself?
2: Well, guys, what I really wanted to do was to remain a reporter, and I just didn't want mm-hmm. to regurgitate stats, and 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 uh, I didn't want it to be just, uh, oh, this guy hit three hundred three in nineteen twenty six, or stuff like that. I wanted to find something for my own sake. I wanted to find something new, and I didn't. You know, Detroit fans, Tiger fans, are very knowledgeable. I didn't want them to pick up a book and, and have them read everything that they knew about all over again. Right. So I went back. The Free Press has great archives, uh, to tell you the truth. I mean, they're all digitalized, and, and you can you can read you read them very easily. So I found out things like um, reading their pages. Uh, Harry Heilman, to me, was a fascinating individual. Uh, and in the combination with Ty Cobb, Cobb and Heilman really didn't get along that well as teammates or when Cobb was— Heilman's manager. But in 1951, when Heilman was dying of lung cancer, Cobb came to his bedside bedside, and told him he had made the Hall of Fame. And that was wow. a kindness, except that Harry Heilman had not yet been elected to the Hall of Fame. But he oh, was. Wow. In, yeah, he was allowed to die. I mean, he, he died thinking he was a Hall of Famer because Cobb told him so. And then Cobb worked on his behalf, on, on behalf of his nomination to make sure it happened In the next year, next year. And he did that with Sam Crawford, too, but not when uh, long after Sam Crawford had died.
0: The stories like that are I mean, that that's why why you read this. Was there a specific story um, that you were kind of unaware about going in that really uh, stuck out to you?
2: Well, I, yeah, uh, it involves a pitcher by the name of George Mullen and I really didn't know that much about George Mullen though, other than that he was a, a 20 plus uh, game winner for the Tigers for several years, but I mean that was back in in the 19 teens and and even before 1910. And what I found was that when uh, back then you could basically sign with a couple of teams at the same time and and hmm. decide later what George Mullen pitched for Fort, uh, for Fort Wayne um, way back when and soon after the Tigers were, uh, had gained entry into the American League. And Fort Wayne went out of business, but the owner of the team held him to his contract, which was a $25 contract. <laughs> and he chased him. He harassed uh, uh, poor George Mullen f- uh, for over a year he didn't want him to play for the Tigers or for the Indians or anybody else because he had signed this contract. So he threatened to arrest him every time he went through Indiana, which is where <laughs> George <laughs> Mullen was from. And one time that George was in the tiger hotel in Chicago with, with his, uh, with shaving cream on half his face when the detectives burst into they uh, came upstairs and he, he, uh, left the, he left the Tiger Hotel with shaving cream on half his face, went down the back stairs to a waiting car, and got on the train to St. Louis where the Tigers were playing next. So wow. stuff like that. And I'll tell you, do I, I could also tell you one about uh, Harry Heilman. Uh, not not the Ty Cobb related one, but Heilman came to the Tigers in 1915 and he had uh, he had worked for a biscuit company in San Francisco and his, and his brother had drowned in San Francisco Bay uh, shortly before he came to Detroit. So Heilman is in Detroit. Again, it's a summer night in 1915, and he goes down to Waterworks Park on the Detroit River just to relax after a game. And a car drives into the river, and people start drowning in front of his eyes. And he has to overcome the, the nightmare of his past, and he jumped in and saved a young woman from, dr- from drowning didn't want any attention he just wanted to uh he just wanted to save her life and walk away from it but people recognized him and the next day he got a uh, he got a standing ovation at Navin Field and became a Detroit hero
1: that's amazing you, you know it's all these colorful stories in really 116 years now of Tigers baseball and i have to ask you a very selfish kind of personal question because of the like 17,000 people that were there that night, I was one of them. And then that of course is Armando Galarraga's not perfect game. And you've included that and some other close calls. And uh, I remember that night so vividly and how, how this crescendo kept ramping up. And then it was, Obviously, this kind of infamous event where Jim Joyce blew the call, and I will forever be angered every time I, I think of it. Uh, but I'm I'm slowly getting therapy and, and getting over it.
2: <laughs> but I'll but tell you, it was handled so well on on both their parts that it's no longer really a a you know a, it's a big story, but it wasn't a big crisis story. It wasn't a big. It's yep. it's not one either one is still living
1: that that's right because you know the fans lived out this pain but the like you said the real story became the the grace uh which Armando and Jim seemed to have did you um were you able to kind of see how that story played out and and how that was
2: resolved I got down to the ballpark late that night because I wasn't working and, right. uh, I was picking up my son at the airport and all of a sudden I get a call on the way back from the airport saying, uh, do you know what Galarraga is doing? Can you get down to the ballpark really fast? <laughs> and, right. uh, I said, I'll go as fast as I can. But, um, it, it, I, I didn't see a lot of the ball game and, uh, Galarraga was, you know, he, he was a nice individual anyway, and he yeah. wasn't, I, there are several pitchers who would have, uh, reacted. In fact, probably most pitchers would have reacted differently. And I think a lot of umpires, I mean, the key was for Joyce to say, oh, my God, look what I've done to the poor guy instead yep. of mm-hmm. defending himself no matter what. So he became a sympathy figure right away. I mean, it was hard to stay mad at him because he knew he made a mistake and he said so. He had tears in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, Jim Jim Leland said the same thing. They, yeah, I can't stay mad at him. He, he tried his best. He blew it. And basically, that's what what Joyce said as well. Uh, I relate frankly more in that same chapter to, uh, Milt Wilcox losing a, uh, tr- a perfect game, uh, in, uh, Chicago against the white Sox because I had that story written. I had the, it was, a, <laughs> I, was deadli- I was on deadline. I was on deadline. so I had, I had already sent Mil- uh, Milt Wilcox perfect game story into the, into the paper when all wow. of a sudden, uh, Jerry Hairston breaks it up with two outs in the ninth and I, I basically have to give them the old uh, give me rewrite because I've got to write five new, yeah. five graphs right away to make sure it comes out as a one hitter.
1: So uh, uh, if I may, just to. Uh, um this is maybe a little bit of a technical question, but yeah, today writers are just uploading from their laptop right as the game is happening. In the early days, how did you get your story in? Are you you know how? What are the what were the mechanics of of file so to speak, filing your story?
2: That's a, that's a great question because I, people think always. Oh, I, I go back to the uh, typewriter days, and and I do uh, in in early in my career actually the first. Professional game I ever covered. I was working for the Times Picayune in New Orleans, and they sent me up to cover the Saints and and Lions in 1972. And uh, it was a blustery day at at Tiger Stadium, and there was an old uh, auxiliary press box there that was very windy. And I, here I am writing the running to that game on on a typewriter with, uh, and half my story blew away. And uh, <laughs> but, so here, you know, I'm a Cub reporter. I'm trying to do my best and my fastest, and there go. they go half the pages oh my down to. I mean, somebody down in the stands got to read it first, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's what that's what happened. But back back in the day, we had oh cumbersome computers. We had we had uh, things that um, I, I can't even remember what we called them. We either had to send on six or eight minutes, and sometimes the pages. Were split down the middle. It it, it was it, oh. pretty horrific. And 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 sometimes when you press the button to send, you would just get a blip, and your story was gone, and there was no protection for it. I remember Joe Falls losing five stories in one night. He co- he was in Boston covering both the Tigers and the Boston Marathon, and he made the mistake of not sending each story as he wrote it. Wrote it, and he sent them all at once, and he got that uh, electric, uh, that dreaded sound of that zap and all his copied was di- disappeared. And, he, and five stories were lost and with no backup. So we had to wow. go through that era and now it's pretty dependable. Then we had to go through the radio shack era, you know, <laughs> the, the, the trash 80. And, um, and I used that probably far too long, but, um, you know, it, it's certainly, it's certainly much easier, um, uh, with the technology today to write than it used to be. Okay.
0: Uh, I thought some of the chapters in your book uh, regarding the Tigers and race were really interesting. Um, can you explain maybe a little bit to us why the Tigers were the second to last club to integrate and like how that process came about in 1958?
2: Well, I, I can't. I don't, I don't know the individuals involved as far as the front office and why what they were like and and but they, I mean there were there, there were accusations that. That uh, that it was a racist organization. They were the second to last uh, American League team to to have a non-white player, and that was Ozzie Virgil in in 1958. And he was uh, he he was uh, not an African American. He was uh, he he was from uh, the Dominican Republic and uh, Puerto Rico. I I can't remember which one he was born in and which one he said he was from. But Ozzie uh, had a Great start for the Tigers at home, but he, he said the black community in Detroit never really accepted him because he was mm-hmm. not a black in, uh, player. So it wasn't until the Larry Dobies came along, past his prime, and the Jake Woods that the Tigers really had black players on their team.
0: Yeah, and then we fast forward to, to sixty seven and the race riots in Detroit. Um, I I love this quote. I I, uh, I put it. I picked it out. Um, Willie, this isn't the quote, but we'll get to it. Um, you know, Willie Horton spoke to the rioters. You know, in uniform from the top of the truck on Twelfth Street. You Here you say those in the street cared about his safety, uh, but not about the wisdom of the of his words. Um, I thought that was a really vivid picture of something. You know, you just don't really see athletes getting involved like that as much these
2: days. Well, he, he Willie says I don't really know which way I took or how I got there, but there I was on top of the truck in my uniform, trying to get them to calm down. But he he freely admits he really had no effect. The people wanted him to get down and and wanted him not to get hurt because they could not uh, uh, they they were not going to stop rioting. And Willie really had didn't have the effect that he did that he wanted to have at the moment. But I think there's many more than just Willie and myself and a few others who remember that moment because it's, it's a legend now of what he, of how he tried to uh, intervene. So, uh,
1: you know, I found it uh, so fascinating that, you know, we talk about all these players, but it was really some of the non-players to me that that really resonated. Um the managers, you know, we get to talk about Sparky and even Jim. Um but then the name that that really always resonated with me, and that's because I got to spend the most uh, figurative time with him is Ernie Harwell. Right? Or every every Tigers fan in the state of Michigan uh who's my age or older, uh, has just more memories of Ernie Hartwell. And he always had, you know, time to meet with people. It seemed like he had all day to spend with you. Um but what were who are some of the non players that really helped to to shape what the Tigers are and the essence of the Tigers?
2: Well let me also say this about Ernie everybody had uh an impression of ernie as being a great guy too i mean he, he just said somebody who sounded that nice and sounded that kind just uh had had to be uh just a great guy as well well i'm happy to say he was mm-hmm. and he was he he was one of the nicest people i've ever met I mean, i've met in my entire life because he would he and especially to young writers he uh he was he, he would introduce people to him uh, to to them, and, and I got to know people through Ernie. But uh, I have this in the book that at one point, uh, Ernie and I were going out to the ballpark in Anaheim, and we stopped at a red light. It was a short distance to drive, just a left and a right, and we were there. But at a uh, red light, he, he asked me how my day was going. I said, well, I'm a little bit worried because my son's having ear surgery today. And mm-hmm. right, he said, well, we've got a little bit more to this red light. I'm going to say a prayer for him. So, he, so I put the car in neutral. We bowed our our heads, and by the time we the light turned green, he had said a prayer. And that, you know, and that was Ernie, just kindness through and through. As far as the other people, uh, you know, I, I probably have to, I probably have to think of uh, of the managers I've covered. I mean, I didn't write a chapter about Les Moss. He was really the first one I covered full-time in full time in nineteen. In 1979, he was only around for a few games, but he he answered, uh, "You never know." To my first three questions, so <laughs> you know, I, I like to tell I like to tell this story that uh, the fir- the first uh, general manager I asked a question of, um, Bill LaJoy, um, uh, swore at me because uh, <laughs> it was something I wasn't supposed to ask. The the first uh, manager I asked a question of, uh, Ralph Hauk in 1976, blew up at me and and said it was a terrible question. And the first manager I covered full time, Les Moss, was a silent manager. So, you know, I had a few obstacles to uh, get over as a cub reporter.
0: Who are some of the the current players, uh, team figures outside of of Verlander and Miggy, who you who you covered in the book, who kind of have the makings to be one of those all time characters?
2: Well, I, I don't really know. About, you know, I think players have changed, I, and and not because they're not as colorful as they used to be, but they they're so guarded. Uh, yeah. It, it, with Twitter and all the different ways it can be trapped, uh, you don't. I, you don't really uh, get that the colorful comments from them that that you used to get. I mean, right. you used to have players with a lot of sense of humor. I mean, Tom Brookins was one. I mean, Tom <laughs> Brookens was was very colorful. Richie Hebner, uh, who uh, played for the Tigers in the early '80s, and he was a he was a uh, grave digger in the off season. <laughs> and and uh, one time the Tigers uh, got into a fight with. Uh, with the Indians and somebody some after it calmed down there was one more thing that was done it, there was a shovel that was thrown out on the field from one of the dugouts and and Hepner ran out to get it and said a good workman never abuses his tools <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Richie is still a character if I have another book in me which I hope I do it could very well be on him just for the way he viewed baseball I mean he is still uh, he lives outside of Boston he doesn't dig graves anymore but he he drives a hearse and one time recently uh he was still a hitting coach until last year in the minor leagues uh but while he was driving a, a guy to the um, uh uh corpse to the uh graveyard he uh, got a call on his phone while he was driving and he got fired and uh, by i th- i don't know which team it was it might have been baltimore so he turned around to the poor guy in the in the coffin said, and you think you're having a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, those, those, those were some of the characters I, I ran into. I, again, Brokens was very humorous and Hebner was too. But I, I think it's harder to find the, the sense of humor today.
0: How close was Donnie Kelly to making the cut? I I'm, I'm assuming he was about number 51.
2: Well, Donnie, well, he was just a good guy. If it it had been the Tigers' big 50 good guys, you know, he certainly would have been on it. Uh Absolutely. or he would he would have had a chapter written about him because he's he's really one of the nicest people I've met in the game.
0: Love that Donnie.
2: <laughs> and he could Donnie. play, you know. He wasn't a, he he played it he was good enough to uh to uh, stick around for a few years and add to that pension. And uh, he, you know, he made the most of his talents. That's for sure.
1: We'll have to explain to our children someday that Don Kelly was, was the, was the before Andrew Romine, Andrew Romine. And we'll have to explain it to him that way. Um, So, Tom, you know so much has has changed in the newspaper industry or in your in your career in fact you know i don 't think it's even fair to call it the newspaper industry anymore it, it's uh it's this kind of baseball media um so there there's been so many changes what have we lost uh in those in that time? And maybe what have we gained? I, I remember at the end of your book, you tell a little story about being able to get the evening edi- edition of the newspaper. You could check out the box score, you know, before you went, you went to bed. Oh
2: well, yeah. When I was like a, maybe a fourth grader, a third grader, the, the free press came to the, do- it was on the front porch at eight thirty at night and they had an early edition. And I was able to check the box scores for the day games. So um it I really looked forward to that and that was back of course the Detroit Times was still around and was until about 1959 or 60 so the so Detroit had three dailies Wow
1: So have we lost as a society something with the with the loss of the the newspaper and the the style of coverage where you got the feature game story you know now you got you know, hundred thousand tweets about the game and everything else is—is is that good, bad, otherwise?
2: Well, it's kind of come
1: full circle
2: because when you read the, read the really old stories uh, that were written about the Tigers, they don't hmm. have quotes in them, and that's because the guy, the reporters, weren't required to go down to the uh, to the clubhouse. Uh, Interesting. It, it was it was the game de- detail that was important because the reader would get the game detail. No, no, nowhere else. That's how powerful the or influential the uh, the papers were because it there was no TV. Obviously, there was no recap on radio. Uh, hmm. You need you needed to read the newspaper account of the game to find out what happened in the game. And now you don't get many quotes, all that many quotes, because there's no time to go down and get them and get them uh, and and write them ahead of deadline. Uh you, hmm. you see you see better game stories off day games than you do night games and that's not the writer's fault. It's they're, how they're constricted by their uh, by the time. Guys have to file for the paper and then go back down and get what they can to file for for online. And uh it's it it's really um you know back in the day and I'm not talking all that long ago, I mean you used to have your afternoons if you were on the road, at least you could go get go get lunch on the road. And uh, now it's a, you know, it's a 24 hour cycle and anything can happen at any time. And that's changed the industry as well.
0: Uh, Eric, do you have any other questions?
1: You know, Tom, I, I just really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. I think it's a, it's a terrific book. A lot of really neat stories in here. And um, uh, I, I, I'm uh, grateful for the time that you took uh, to spend to write it and put it together.
2: Well, I'll tell you, I did have the good fortune of covering uh baseball when I during a, a great time to cover baseball. Mm, and yep. and it not and not just in the sport, but in my industry as well. I remember, and I'll tell you one more story when I was in the uh, earthquake in at uh in San Francisco in wow. 1980 mm-hmm. in 1989 and um, the only phone working in the press box was right next to me and uh I was able to Go back even to another generation and say, "Give me rewrite," and uh, dictate the story off the top of my head. And that, and back then, you you often had to do that just for changing stories. There were, you know, at the winter meetings. At the winter meetings, we all ran for the payphones. Now you can't find a (laughs) payphone. Right,
0: (laughs) but. Anyway, thank you so much for for joining us. And like Eric said, we we really appreciate the amount of, of work that you put into uh, telling us all of the, all of these stories that we would have had no other way of of knowing. It just makes uh, it makes watching the Tigers more more gravity to it because you know you can tell so much of what's happened before.
2: Well, I really thank you for for uh, saying that you 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 might have learned something from the book <laughs> because that's what I set out to do.
0: The book is on sale now from Triumph Books. It's called "The Big Fifty: The Men and Moments That Made the Detroit Tigers." It's available on Amazon and uh, where else can we get the book?
2: Barnes and Noble and uh, really wherever wherever books are sold. (laughs) um, But those seem to be the you know you can get it straight from Triumph, but Amazon and Barnes and Noble are the two big uh, ways you can get it
0: all right and we will all follow you on twitter at tom underscore gauge tom thanks so much for joining us tonight um <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciate your time and be will- being willing to talk with us
2: i really enjoyed it guys you you know your you, you know the business and you uh, seem to know baseball as well
1: thank you tom thank you
2: you bet Hello, this is Eric's
0: mom, and you're listening to the podcastianos. So, big news out of Detroit this morning: Bruce Rondon has been sent down, and the Chosen One, Joe Jimenez, has been recalled to lead the Tigers bullpen to the promised land. Um, what was your first? What was the first thought that went through your head when you heard the news?
1: I was a little surprised, to be honest with you. I knew Joe was coming up this year, but I didn't think they would have that quick a trigger because historically they haven't. Um, but I think you're seeing a pattern here of more early urgency mm-hmm. from the tigers. Um, when that's decisions with Pelfrey decision with low, um, and now, and now Ron going down earlier as opposed to later. Um, is him, is, is him and as ready? I, I don't know, but he's pretty darn good. And maybe now's the time. What, what was your take? My,
0: my first thought was like, yeah. Okay. Like Rondone made it. So they absolutely had to do something. I mean, he's been so bad and they, they started right. him off in that eighth inning role where, you know, it's not the closer, but it's the next, you know, the yeah. next most magnified job out there. And he's failed so bad each time out that there, there really wasn't a choice. the The thing that I couldn't decide on was whether, you know, whether Joe was the right call or maybe bringing Blaine back, I'm not sure whether he could have come yeah. back this quickly because he just went back right. down. But um, you know, some I think Osman said that he he or maybe it was Avila that there was a chance that they'd catch lightning in a, in a bottle with Jimenez. Yep. And you know, it's early. I feel like you were not quite to the grind, you know, part of the season where you need stuff like that. But you know, getting off to a hot start is really important. Wins, you know, not to not to poo-poo you know the early games but wins come easier early in the season if you can rack a few up more a few up early you know once you get into september things that you know it just doesn't come as easy if we can get out to a hot start with you know some of this lightning in the bottle i don't i don't hate the idea
1: right and i'm not a body shamer Mm -hmm. i'm not a body shamer but you think after the hot end of the season Rondon had last year that he'd come up fired up ready to go um, now he's a naturally big dude but you got the impression from the Tigers brass that he didn't put the effort in to, to stay trim start, try to stay as athletic as he could and maybe that was reflected in his lack of heat on the fastball too and I think the two bad outings compounded with his his prep was just kind of enough for the decision makers
0: yeah, I mean, the, the velocity was there. I mean, we saw him pitch yesterday. It never hit more than 95, and right. we had talked earlier about how we thought the gun might have been juiced a little bit. Like, I mean, he could have yep. been sitting even, even lower than that.
1: And, and other guys can get away with that, but if you're Bruce Rondon, you need the big fastball
0: yeah I mean that's that's been his bread and butter ever since we've known who Bruce yeah, Rondona that,
1: was that's him
0: right um, so Osmus and Avila said that they're they're recalling Joe with the knowledge that he's still working the work in progress, they're going to start him off in some of the lower leverage situations. Um, I feel like that attitude kind of more of, more of a nurturing attitude, if you will, uh, makes me have a little bit more confidence that they're going to use him properly at least while he gets his feet wet.
1: Yeah, Uh, you can't, I agree, but you can't baby him too much, right? I mean, there's spots where, I mean, every spot is where he's going to need to get some outs. And eventually, we hope he's going to be the big boy pitcher. So, yeah, you you start him slow, you pick a few spots, but, you know, there's going to be a a seventh inning here that's going to need his, need some work, so.
0: Yeah. And, you know, maybe, maybe that is what he needs. And, you know, maybe maybe some sort of combination. Like right. there's, there's always nuance to it. Um, so with Rondo going down, it looks like Justin Wilson is going to take over the eighth, the eighth inning. I feel like I instantly feel better just about the concept of having leads now. Um, how yeah. about you?
1: I agree. Um and we talked about this yesterday. I think um, Justin Wilson just got overworked last year. He got so many innings and he kind of faded at the end, but he's looked strong this year. Strong.
0: Yeah. And, and the stuff, like it, everything is so firm. It's it kind of like what, what Zimmerman did in his start. Like everything that they're, they both been throwing up there is like, yeah, there's, there's some power and some conviction behind that where, and not to say that he didn't have that last year, but I don't know. I felt like you, like you said, he, he faded uh, physically. It seems like down the stretch and he's, he's right at the top right now. Yep. Yep. Um, some of the guys without formal roles are kind of the ones that we've, we've started to grow to adjust Justin Wilson, obviously. Um, and then Alex Wilson and Shane green. Do you think they're succeeding because they're kind of being used f- as, as floaters um, or just because those are the three, you know, three of the better pitchers we have out there.
1: Well, you know how I feel about Alex Wilson and Blaine Hardy, really. But Alex Wilson, he just kind of gets it done. I mean, he's not flashy, but you can put him wherever and he he gets you some outs. I like Alex Wilson. Do you think...
0: I mean that's obviously a great thing to have, and it almost as like a poor man's Andrew Miller in that regard. Not not to heap that yeah, kind of comparison. Super poor man's Andrew but Miller. But somebody you can use in a multitude of of ways. I guess that was kind of more where I was going with that. Um, yeah. Are you? Do you think Alex should have more of a, a nailed on role, or do you like him kind of as that the overused uh, Swiss Army knife type?
1: Yeah, I, I like that flex roll from him. He's proven that he can handle it. And you need a guy who can be flexible and get you out outs in different spots.
0: And plus there just isn't any of the like seven, eight, nine, like boom, 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 you know, rolls anymore. Like the Royals had it that one right. year, but they just had a had a freak bullpen. I don't huh. see us having a designated seventh inning guy at any point Well,
1: this year. I'm a little disappointed that we don't have the GWAR, which is Green Wilson and Rodriguez anymore, but I guess it'll be okay.
0: <laughs> my favorite uh, all-time bullpen combination was uh, Bobby C and Brand Lion. The the Bulls oh yeah, Sea C-L- Lion. Yeah, they love
1: Lion. Was great. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's a, that's a way old reference. Um, okay, let's move on to some big starts from unsung heroes. That's how I have it labeled in my notes. Um, so there's four guys who have been playing pretty well to start the year and it's not Mickey and it's not Victor and it's not Justin Upton certainly um James McCann he's only yeah. hitting 214 but four walks, two homers, three ribs that are those are numbers that I'll take obviously small sample size um has has he done enough to convince you that he's more of 2015 McCann uh than than 16
1: it's early Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we know he's got it in him. He So it's just early. We need to play some more games and to see once what we got from McCann.
0: I feel like he's one of those guys that I'm willing to read into early because last year he didn't get off to such a hot start. And then he had the ankle injury and like the mm. season went straight downhill from there. I feel like he could be kind of a momentum guy. If we can get him going up as opposed to straight down to start the year, um, you know, like, like you said, in 2015, he was, he was a very good player and it would, it would lengthen the lineup so much if it yeah, wasn't a, a strikeout machine, you know, at, at the bottom. So yep. Um, let's move on. Andrew Romine um, mm. who probably is going to win the AL MVP award uh, yeah. four for eight so far with three doubles. I don't even know what to say. Dude is flat out balling.
1: You know, I, I watched him hit two doubles today and I'm, and he just looks confident up there. I know he had some mechanical tweak that he did in spring training. Um but he's got to be what? 27, 28 years old?
0: Yeah, back end there? of his 30, of his 20s, yeah.
1: Right. Guys don't just have epiphanies. Utility journeyman utility men in the, in major league baseball just don't like say, "Oh, I'm a I'm a 290 hitter with some power now. I mean, that's not Andrew Romine, is it?
0: Now, now, hear me out. Did he have a child in the offseason? <laughs> Stop it. No, I don't think so. We'll, he's we'll beyond have,
1: childbearing <laughs> years. So we'll,
0: we'll have the stats we'll have department that. look that up, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I I jested on Twitter when I said that now he's the one that I think is going to win the MVP. But um, he's, at, at this moment in time, he's the best shortstop on the roster
1: yeah, let me let me ask you this. Do you keep finding spots for it? Do you go oh, out of your way to get him in the lineup now?
0: First of all, it, it, for the next week or so? Absolutely. I mean, whatever it takes to get him in the lineup. You got a guy <laughs> got a guy hitting like that. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. It, you know, inevitably will wear out. But until it does.
1: Yeah. Why you not? ride it's, that train?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm I, you know, we we joke about him because he is kind of the next Donnie, but, uh, you know, he's he's a guy that's very easy to root for. Um, and you know what? Sometimes there are, you know, look at Jose Bautista. If it happens for guys late on occasion. Okay. All right. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that I believe he's going to blossom into a, a full time, you know, Yeah. 300 hitter. He's going to
1: hit 50 bombs and follow a million people on Twitter. Next and, is what and you're get saying. decked
0: by Runiette Odor. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably, <laughs> okay. probably what's what's around the corner for Romine. Um, okay, and, and La- Tyler Collins is hitting, hitting decently for him. We'll, we'll skip over him. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> Jacoby Jones, he uh, has got himself off to a nice start, playing some excellent center field. Uh, he's driven in four runs, including a couple fairly dramatic ones, uh, c- taking a couple walks, but... He's still hitting only 200, and he's struck out six times uh, mm. this year. Twitter has pretty well determined that he's the guy. Small sample size, what have you taken away from the first week for, for Jacoby?
1: Well, I think it's no secret that he can go catch the ball. Yes. And in center field at Comerica... Uh that is priority number one for a center fielder. And what what were you telling me that like Kirk Gibson thought he was like the best outfielder that he's ever seen or something no, uh, like that?
0: It was legendary Lloyd said that he was oh, the yeah, best yeah. defensive center fielder he's ever seen. And he's seen several. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean that's that's something. Um he has flashes of there's moments at the plate where he's still young and looks overwhelmed and looks like he doesn't have a plan. But when he uh, worked that walk in, what was it? Uh, Two games ago now. Yeah. He, he, he looked like a major leaguer working account and did not look overwhelmed. So that's just getting enough big league at bats and getting some experience. I think
0: so obviously He's he's got the tools. Obviously, he's going to have up and down, you know, all all rookies do. What what is something that you're going to look for as kind of like a success indicator that makes you think that he's a long term guy?
1: Uh, I, to me, it's a it's um, approach at the plate. So a few more walks, a few a few fewer strikeouts. To me, that's the indicator he he can hit. He, he's he got he's got ball to bat. Uh, excuse me, bat to ball skills, all that kind of stuff. It's just having the right approach and a game plan at the plate. That's my thought.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I think it's all all in kind of the eye test, what you're seeing from him when he's at the plate.
1: Yeah, and, and his walks need to go up and his strikeouts go down. If you're looking for numbers. Yeah.
0: Uh, I plan to talk about, about Castellanos, but we pretty well hit on the, on the man missiles earlier in the show. So let's we move.
1: couldn't, we couldn't contain ourselves. No. We couldn't wait till the end,
0: but we can talk about the scarf. Um, what was going on with Nikki's scarf?
1: It <laughs> Was it like an ascot or something like this? I, I don't know. I
0: don't, I don't know that anyone knows what it is. It's just um, I like, I don't understand how that keeps his neck warm. <laughs> like it, <laughs> Had so much it's of his poofy. neck exposed.
1: Yeah. You know, it kind of reminded me, if you're watching the NCAA basketball tournament and there was Charles, Charles Barkley, Barkley yeah. and he turned his sweatshirt around and it had chips in it. I thought maybe maybe Nick's got some sunflower seeds in there or some chips. You know, you just pick those out of there. What would you
0: put in your snack hoodie?
1: Some brisket nachos. <laughs> so they're a little gooey. I was going to say, that'd get messy. Yeah, don't. you take a shower afterwards. It's fine. That's true. I go mac and cheese.
0: <laughs> Quality. Um, okay, so we'll get into your power rankings here in just a sec, but I do have one quick uh, observation. Um, it seems like the guys that went off to the World Baseball Classic, miggy Victor, K-Rod, Brucie, all struggling a little bit early. But if you notice the guys that have really surged early, it's the guys that stayed in camp and played probably more than they would have normally in spring oh, training. You know, yeah. McCann, Castellanos, um, Romine, Romine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, even Iglesias Jones. took one deep. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I think that's, you know, I'm not saying that there's necessarily a correlation, but, you know, more at bats before the season is probably never a bad thing.
1: You should you should crunch some numbers. Put your saber hat on. And run uh, at number of at bats before the season. You can cross-reference, put it in a computer, and you can get some real answers. You could write a paper on this all.
0: I one hundred percent sure will not do any of that. But <laughs> if any of the listeners out there are, are feeling uh, industrious, definitely, definitely send us send us that or or whatever.
1: Send us the executive summary. We're not reading the yeah, whole yeah
0: the, the Wikipedia version. Please. Okay. Are you ready to get to your power rankings? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Now, we talked earlier in the show about one Bruce Rondone being sent to AAA. And um, so I have for you today uh, husky uh, or hefty, if you will, athletes. This ought to be okay. good. So now these are ranked not by their ultimately their performance, because then maybe you'd have a guy like Babe Ruth at number one. This is about how much these people made me smile. Of course. All right. This is this is purely, you know, accurate (laughs) and completely indisputable. But how much they brought joy to humanity. How about that? That works for me. Okay. Number six is William the Refrigerator Perry. All right, this guy would probably be mid-sized by a lineman's stature today. But my dad can't shut up about <laughs> William Refrigerator Perry. He's like every dad's favorite player.
0: And it's such a dad move to call them by the full full name with the nickname in the
1: middle. The Refrigerator. Oh, yeah. uh, if this was just nickname raking the refrigerator is pretty
0: good yeah you don't That's you don't top good. that
1: yeah number six is john daly <laughs> john daly i appreciate it he made me smile because he is so anti-golf i watched some of the interviews the, about the with the masters or whatever and you have these little weaselly pretentious corporate sponsor plugging dudes and then You have John Daly. It's just so much. It's kind of... He's kind of an ass, maybe, but it's kind of a refreshing ass. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Of course. All right. Number five is Vince Wilfork. Okay. Carl Winslow? Exactly. (laughs) Vince has to make the list just because of his pure enormity. Mm -hmm. He plays a game where all the men are enormous, and you look on TV... And there's still an enormouser man, (laughs) and it's Vince Wilfork. And then he's like nude on the cover of, uh, you know, the body issue, all this stuff. Vince Wilfork is a truck, and I appreciate him. (laughs) All right. Number four is Jared Lorenzen. Are you familiar? Of course. The Hefty Lefty. Now, he's a moderate size offensive lineman it's not weird for a 315 pound man to play football it's just so goofy because he's the quarterback he's dropping back and he's slinging these balls all over and he's got one more Super Bowl ring than Dan Marino, which I think is <laughs> terrific.
0: I read an article about him. And I think he had kind of an eating addiction. So it's not it's not funny, but uh, it was in ESPN, the magazine. He talks about how there was nights when he just wake up and smash like an entire box of Little Debbie's like at four in the morning and then go back to bed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's yikes. territory.
1: Yeah. Oh. Uh, but still pretty cool. He oh, didn't see a sure. lot of PT, but <laughs> good. To- All right. Number three, this might surprise you, but number three is Prince Fielder. Prince kind of got poo-pooed in Detroit. and But I tell you, I loved him before he came to the Tigers, and I I really did like him as a Tiger. His attitude was kind of uh, grumbly, should I say, or just off-putting to some people but he's this big dude smacking home runs and i liked prince i like i loved his dad too right we didn't get a chance to talk with tom too much about cecil but i thought it was prince fielder's good yeah and we got a night getting him was fun but getting rid of him Mm. was even funner (laughs) (laughs) that it was so good that we got kinsler for him yeah anyway Number 2 is Bryant Big Country Reeves. <laughs> you remember this dude? Yep. Enormous. Yeah, I think he was from like Oklahoma State or he
0: had, something like that.
1: And he came out about the same time as Sean Bradley. You remember that? And Sean Bradley was like 7 4 and just like this little spindly dude and uh Big Country had just this amazing nickname and he looked big country too. Oh, just sure. this a massive dude. He had a little bit of a career. He wasn't spectacular, but you don't don't have to be his his kid, I think, is playing for Oklahoma State. They they should call him little country, (laughs) moderate, (laughs) moderately sized country. But one thing before I move on, I would give my left arm to get that teal (laughs) Grizzlies jersey, the Vancouver Grizzlies throwback. I would do bad things to get one of those. Those were hot.
0: I bet uh, you. I bet you could. You could make that happen.
1: Might, I bet might, I look might take today. some
0: internet effort, but I bet you could find
1: one. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to use all my podcasting money to buy a big country Reeves jersey. I
0: Thought you were spending um, all on uh, Spotify.
1: There's so much. I don't. I don't know what to say. <laughs> all right, number one, you want to guess? I don't think you're going to guess it. Number got,
0: one, I got to guess big sexy.
1: Big sexy. Oh, Bartolo. Bartolo? Yeah, he, he's honorable mention. Fair enough, but. But no, he's not. I have an even better one, (laughs) and that is Gilbert Brown. Do you remember Gilbert Brown? He was a defensive lineman for the Green Bay Packers and he would occasionally get a sack and he would do like this grave digger move like you'd pretend to have a shovel. We've kind of talked about this on the podcast already with Tom, but Gilbert Brown was a cult hero in Green Bay. And I kind of had a thing for Green Bay at the time. This guy is absolutely enormous and he was just a run stuffer. So that's why when he got a sack, he just went ape because he was he was so good i love gilbert Brown. he's this big dude big smile he's number one gilbert brown is awesome boom all right Bat uh bottom three uh third from the worst david wells he always seemed <laughs> kind of pissy to me yeah stop david wells uh george foreman was number second from the worst uh Stop it with your grill. It's just an electric grill that's on an angle.
0: Yeah, plus All we right? want the fat in our food.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it, stop selling me stuff. And, uh, you know, talk about dad favorites. George Foreman is like the ultimate dad favorite. I'm kind of over George Foreman. Are you
0: familiar with his kids?
1: George, 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 and George?
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. I, f- I figured you had to have been woke to that, but...
1: yeah. So I guess his explanation was when you've taken as many punches as me, you can't learn more than one
0: name. Fair enough.
1: All right. I suppose. (laughs) Number one worst hefty athlete. You want to take a guess? Nah, I got nothing. Butterbean. (laughs) Butterbean. Do you remember this guy? Vaguely, yeah. He He was a boxer. And it was this thing just seemed like a total sham. He was he was like grossly overweight and shouldn't have been it was just a sideshow circus butterbean was the worst that's power rankings
0: speaking of power rankings did you get a chance to listen to my power rankings from last week how'd i do
1: uh i did check in but uh so it was cities do i have that right yeah cities in michigan yeah i heard uh coral made the list
0: yeah it's it's the tater tot capital of the world I need no other explanation. You're yeah. on the list if you are the tater tot capital of the world.
1: I've actually been to Coral. It's, in my estimation, not top seven material, <laughs> but I'm going to take your word for it. I've,
0: I've never been there either. I was, I was strictly going yeah. on what I was told. Oh,
1: okay. And lo and behold, Traverse City was number one, huh?
0: Yeah. Let, though let's be honest. If you asked any random person in this state, nine out of ten people would say Traverse City. It's because we're a, right. we're a smart smart state.
1: It's the Ann Arbor of the North, man. <laughs> That's
0: right. Are are you familiar with Charlotte? Do you share my sentiment about how it should just be Charlotte and shut up? Stop being pretentious.
1: Yeah, but it gives you kind of that insider vibe, like, oh, I know it's called Charlotte. It's like I hate it. It's like uh, when people say or try to say Grashit or something <laughs> like that, and like people. No, it's it. It's not gray gray yacht or whatever how it looks. Anyway, yeah. I digress. All right. No, you're fine. It was great.
0: Thanks. That was that was what I was hoping for. Let, let's be honest. <laughs> it was it was excellent. Um, things that I saw on the side of the road while running today. Today yeah. on the road, I saw three white. You know, like the plastic hangers you'd hang a T-shirt on. Yeah. Like probably a hundred or two hundred yards apart. Like. I mean, I get it like, you you know, it falls off the truck or, you know, you throw it out the window. But somebody like specifically placed these hangers to be like several football fields apart.
1: Do you think it was like a fashion conscience, conscious Hansel and Gretel, like trying to (laughs) lead their way back to that H&M could be it
0: could have been like some sort of performance art. Like they were making a statement about how how fashion, you know, leads you to nothing but the side of the road. I don't know. I just I found that to be to be odd and or interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, there's a pattern. You should, you know, research it like, you know, some detective and find out what's going on.
0: Yeah, I'll set up some some cameras. I think that's what they do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Upcoming matchups. We won't get into all of it. We I'm sure we've run very long, but we play um Uh, Tuesday through Thursday, we play the Twins at Comerica. And then for the weekend, we travel to uh, Cleveland to face the Indians. First time against them for the year. Uh, We have, in my estimation, Norris Verlander and Boyd going. So you don't hate that. And as far as I can tell, they have Bauer, Kluber, and then possibly possibly Carlos Carrasco. They have a nice pitching staff. If we're going to beat them, we're going to have to beat good pitching. Even, you know, so... Uh oh, record prediction. That's the one thing we should do.
1: How many games are there? Six?
0: Uh, appear to be six, yeah.
1: Uh three and three.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna ride the, the wave of euphoria. I'm gonna go five and one. I think that we have a big week and we maybe maybe even build ourselves a little bit of a lead in the division. I think Klu- Kluber's the one that gets us. That's that's my, my estimation.
1: I'll hope for that too.
0: <laughs> okay if you want to get in touch with the show you can uh podcastianos.com on twitter i am at jordan hall 23 eric is at Comeric eric and the show is at podcastianos and tom if you want to follow tom he's at tom underscore gauge uh go out and buy his book we both read it it's it's really good yep. um it makes like we said it gives uh so much background to the club that you you support presuming and you support we were the tigers
1: we we weren't going to say this when when Tom was on with us, but this is the perfect bathroom book. All right, mm-hmm. the chapters are like 3 to 5 pages, perfect for getting your business done in the bathroom. Take that in there with you. Yeah. You won't be sorry. Um,
0: how many books do you go in for and then you come out, you know, in for your business, you come out a little bit smarter. Not many. Yeah um (laughs) and on instagram i am at Jordinho four uh and we'd love it if you take the time to subscribe rate and review us on itunes google play soundcloud or whatever whatever other platform you're listening to the show on um it's just a little thing it just takes a second uh but it would help greatly with uh exposure for the show um eric anything else to talk about before we get out for the week no no absolutely not that's enough of that um with that being said we will catch All of you guys next week and eat them up, tigers, eat them up.
1: Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.